It's Taste of Country Nights with Evan Paul On Demand, episode 54 with Craig Morgan. I know Blake Shelton's one of your good friends. Check out this artwork uh, for his new song, Nobody. Have you seen this yet? <laughs> He's not. That's not the new artwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. This is Blake Shelton's. Oh, that's good. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what he's thinking. That's got to be a wig. <laughs> or is it an old it, it might be an old picture. Is he just using an old photo? Oh, man. We had a lot of fun with country music icon Craig Morgan. We talked about everything. If you're a Craig Morgan fan, he really dove in on this interview. As usual, please give us a like, a subscribe, a comment, all that stuff. It all helps us out. Taste of Country Nights on Demand. It's Evan Paul here on Taste of Country Nights. We got Craig Morgan in. What's happening, man? Living living large. Living the dream, baby. Somebody's. <laughs> uh, you got your new song, How You Make a Man Out. I want to read a, a statement that you gave to everyone about the song. You say this song makes a powerful statement about how you have to go through things and sometimes experience difficult things in life to become a better human. How did this song make its way to you? Um... It was literally pitched to me. Uh, my co-producer, guy that I've been working with forever, used to play for me, Phil O'Donnell. Uh, we call him Phil Billy. Phil Billy called me and said, hey, I got this song. Somebody pitched me uh, if you're interested. And I said, yeah, send it to me. Uh, and I just immediately, the very first listen, I called him. I wasn't even finished with the song. I swear to you. I called him and said, let them know I'm cutting it. In fact, book the studio. We'll deal with the label. We'll deal with everything. I don't know how, where it's going to happen, but we're cutting this song. So that was the beginning of the new project. Wow. Has a song ever hit you as hard as that one did? Um, Redneck Yacht Club. I felt strong about Redneck Yacht Club more so than everybody else. Almost home. When I wrote that, I knew there was something special about that song. Even, again, more so than the the, the label. Uh, people at, There were people at the label like, oh, we can't record this. It's too country. You know, and radio will never play it. And I'm like, I'm telling you, there's something special here. So, I, you know, I have these feelings. I, 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 sometimes I feel like, not, not sometimes. There, you know, I have two prerequisites when I'm listening or writing. And it's, one, I have to be able to sing it and deliver it and make it believable. And two, it has to be something that radio could play. Doesn't mean they will. And I respect that. And I'm all good with that, whatever. You know, we all have our time and place. But I also feel like it's important to do those two things. And when you do, sometimes uh, you leave everyone else no choice. Right, yeah. That makes sense. Um, you brought Jelly Roll out on stage at the Grand Ole yeah. Opry. Um, he sang Almost Home. Does this moment happen 20 years ago? Because he is not, per se, a country artist yet. He's trying to make his way into country music. And the genre is kind of moving a little bit. And we see that with you bringing out Jelly Roll. Does this happen 20 years ago? I'm going to disagree with you that the genre is kind of moving. The genre has done what it's doing right now, our entire, as far back as you can trace it. There was a time when people said Ronnie Millsap was a pop singer. And Ronnie Millsap still managed to get songs on country. And now he's one of our heritage artists. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's always done that. It kind of sways back and forth. And there, and I, I think that's what makes our format the biggest format out there. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody in the rock world wants to be a part of our format. And I'm not saying that Jelly Roll, see, that's why I love Jelly Roll. And I do. I love him. I love his story. I love it's inspiring and everything about him. Jelly Roll's not trying to be a country singer. Jelly Rose just trying to be inspiring. 
He's trying to sing music that he loves and likes. He's a real rock star. I'm telling you, I think the guy's a rock star, and I think time will prove that. And, and if he has a passion for a particular song, and, and his story that I heard him tell on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry the first time he appeared when he talked about what Almost Home meant to him, that moved me. It made me want to know more and be a, a bigger part of what he is doing. Uh, and that's why I asked him if he would do that with me and come join me. That's awesome. How do you see yourself in a guy like Jerry Jelly Roll? Do you do you see parts of you in him, like when you were starting out, dude? When I first heard him tell that story, I, you, you wouldn't. Uh, I, if I'd have seen Jelly Roll before I seen him do that, uh, tell that story on the uh, the stage of the Grand Ole Opry the first time, I'd have never thought I was any part of that guy's life. I mean, you know, he's completely tatted up, and and, he, and not that I, I mean, I got tats too, uh-huh. but you know, he he, he he presented himself as a rock star as a rock singer, uh, and just come from a different background and a different world. That's what's wonderful about music, man. It can bring people from completely separate worlds together. Uh, and that's what Almost Home did, brought Jelly Roll and I together. And I love the guy, and I always, like, in the same way that I'm always there for the people I was on that TV show with, in the same way that I'm always there for my family or will be, I'm always there for Jelly Roll. Wow. You're a solid guy, man. You probably stay pretty busy always being there for everybody. I tell you what. I don't I don't I don't sleep much. <laughs> but you know, all those people are there for me too. Yeah. Uh and that's what makes that's what makes the world a better place is when we're willing to do that. And like I said, and you alluded to it early in that song. Uh, you know, in our society today, people are scared to fall in love because they're afraid they'll get heartbroken. They're scared to go try something, they're afraid they'll get hurt. Man, I when I speak, and I do a lot of public speaking now, I tell people. Those scars that you have, that, that tissue's stronger than the tissue beside it. And it's stronger because it got hurt. And we're like that. We become stronger and better people when we experience adversities in our life. And we shouldn't be scared of that. We shouldn't be scared to have conversations with people that, you know, if I'd have taken Jelly Roll for face value, I might not have, you know, because we all, I don't care who you are, we all have these initial perceptions. We try not to. Mm. We try to be human enough that we don't allow visuals to impair our our perceptions. But it happens. But because of that song, I didn't. I was. I was allowed to overlook those initial perceptions. I mean, this guy spent time in prison. You know, a lot of people look at that and go, "Oh," but that prison time made him a better human, yeah. and he will tell you that. And he is a good human being. He might, you know, you might not know it sometimes. I told him, I said, man, I wish you wouldn't cuss so much. <laughs> not that I don't, you know, I cuss too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, and, and he gives off this persona, but but he's a good human. And I love that. And sometimes we got to get past all of those things. It's the face tats. You got to get past the face. You see somebody with face tats and you're, you're, you might be scared of them. You might be. You that's know? right. Yeah. But then you find out what well, a sweetheart. He is so nice. I've gotten to meet him. He yeah, is yeah. a sweetheart of yeah. a man. And I yeah. just love him to death. So, man, you made like 250 Opry appearances. That's I looked it up. That's like the average someone goes to Chick-fil-A in their life. <laughs> how do you make it non-mundane? Like, like, how do you still get excited after 250 times? It's the grand old life. I mean, listen, long after I'm gone, long after you're gone, when Taste of Country no longer exists, you know who's going to be here? Grand Ole Opry. The Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. That's right. They were here long before us, and they'll be here long after us. You're right. It is the cornerstone of our format, and, and, and I love it because it's not just the old or the successful. It's everything in our format. And as you talked about a while ago, you know, kind of changing. Uh, it's not really changing. 
It's been like that the whole time. We just got a really broad format. You can be as hardcore dirt road country or pop rap country, rock and roll country, and you can still fall in our format and there's a place for you. Uh, when you started in country music, you already had a career in the Army. Did you feel like you were treated like a country newcomer, or were you more of like a, like a veteran because you were a veteran, per se? Uh, I don't really know. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not going to make up something just to tell you an answer. I don't know that I remember feeling any indifferent or feeling like a new guy because I had never done this. So I didn't know what an older singer or someone who'd been in the business should feel like. What I do know is I was treated very well. Uh, I remember early on Tracy Lawrence, we were on the same label and I remember Tracy. Uh, I, I don't feel like he ever treated me like I was some new guy, like stand behind me, any of those things. I was always welcomed everywhere I went. And I don't know that that was because I was a veteran. I think that's just because our community, the the country format community. Um, do you, have you ever encouraged any of your kids to be in the military? No, I discouraged them, uh, and not because I didn't love it. I just felt like I had served enough for my family, uh, and I didn't at that, you know, when my son, my oldest son come of age, he really wanted to do it. I mean, he wanted to do it bad, and I told him, go to college, and if you finish college and you still want to go, you can go in as an officer, and I'll help you. I'll support you. I'll do anything, but I, I, I did enough for us, and I'm still doing this stuff, so I'd rather you focus on that and, and let me deal with this right now, and then afterwards, if you still do, I'm there. Well, fortunately for me, he went to college, fell in love, and got married. So. <laughs> but but I, I, I do wish, looking back, uh, if, if there's anything that I have a regret, uh, I, I don't regret it, but I wished I had maybe been a little more supportive and encouraged him. Uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You never know what might have happened or what could have happened. Uh, I'm fortunate. I'm grateful that he didn't at this point in my life because he's here. Uh, and he's having babies. Him and his wife are having babies, and, and I love that. And I'm, I, I, I'll always have that. And who knows what would have happened had he gone right. um, we got We've received copies of your book, God, Family, Country. Um, which part is the most enjoyable to relive, and what's part that you wish you could have left out? I don't think there's anything I wish I could have left out. Uh, I didn't hide. I never have hidden. You guys have talked to me before. I don't hide stuff, um, mainly because I, my memory's so bad. <laughs> and I don't make, I don't make stuff up. Um, I, I would say probably the most enjoyable or some of the most rewarding was the military stuff. Uh, in writing this book, I went back and pulled a, a portion of my team that I served with in Panama in 1989 and 1990, uh, and I brought those guys to the house, and we all sat down for two days and and to listen to them tell stories because they talked about stuff that I had completely forgotten about, and it was just so fun to relive those stories with the guys that I lived yeah. with. That's cool. Um, your friend, our friend, Blake Sheldon, just announced he's putting out uh, a new song, and this is the album art. I wanted to see what you think about his hair. <laughs> he's not. That's not the new artwork. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, man. This is Blake Sheldon. Oh, that's good. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what he's thinking. That's got to be a wig. <laughs> or is it an old – it might be an old picture. Is he just using an old photo? He really shouldn't be that proud. <laughs> he should not be that confident. I mean, he is, in my opinion, Blake is one of the he's one of the better singers in our format. I don't think Blake gets enough credit for his singing ability because of his ignorant humor. Sometimes overpowers his as singing. I do think he's one of, but he should never be that confident. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, dude, thank you so much for coming by. We're looking forward to the deluxe album and the song and everything, man. I got to take a picture and talk about that. <laughs> Please stay tuned to my socials. <laughs> oh, dang, what is he thinking? <laughs> and let's cut to Billy Dukes from behind the camera to kind of come and analyze this interview. What are some of your thoughts on this, man? Well, at the end of the interview there is we made a little bit of news, and I think people might recognize that this interview is maybe a couple of weeks old because of the thing he says about Blake Shelton and his hair and getting him to react to Blake Shelton's hair in that <laughs> yeah. uh, video for nobody. Uh, but that, that, was, that was tremendous when Craig just, I mean, he lets his good friend have it like friends do. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun to be a part of that. Like, I, you know, I didn't know how that was going to go. You never really know anything that's kind of off the cuff like that, you know, and just see his reaction. And uh, I was just letting it happen, man, because it kept like, it was like a fourfold. It kept just unfolding his reaction. It was just like getting more and more. I was like, this is great. We got a lot of run on that on tasteofcountry.com. I think it was a YouTube video and it was on the reels and, the, you know, the TikTok. Like, <laughs> we made sure everyone saw that moment because we, we videoed, we, we ran some tape on, on this interview as well. <laughs> Yeah, that was really fun. Hey, good question about Jelly Roll and and how Craig sees himself in Jelly Roll. Because I think you would look at those two and go, nope, nothing in common there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And um, it just, it goes to show you, man, you just, you never know in country music who who are friends and who aren't and what people think about others. And you're right, they are two people that you would think you know, would be just somewhere and not even like notice each other or say hello or just two different people. And the fact that they get along so well and it, it was really nice to hear what he had to say about Jelly Roll and, you know, uh, I thought that was cool. He answered your question. I, he, he pivoted a little bit about if the Jelly Roll Craig Morgan Opry event happens 20 years ago because his argument was that country music hasn't moved and we always embraced other forms of music and genres and i think that's true but i'm not sure that jelly roll gets a shot on the grand old opry 20 years ago it was it was a lot of the same type of artist two decades ago yeah a hundred percent yeah no shot he doesn't get a shot at all two decades ago and and that's a lot saying a lot for the opera you know and there's been a lot of other artists that have gotten a shot recently you know that uh I would never have expected. I think that's great that they're kind of opening the doors. Was was it Edwin McCain? Did you tell me that? He's probably been on the Opry, I would think. I mean, he's why wouldn't he? I mean, they they kind of open it up. They've thrown the doors open a little bit to anybody that has an audience that isn't and and if the artist isn't like um I don't know, just really really polarizing. They won't bring them in. But anybody who's who's good radio and has an audience, I think they'll they'll give them a shot and give them a crack. Yeah, I think that's really cool, and that really shows where the genre is now, you know. I went to the Opry recently, and they had a stand-up comedian uh, towards, like, right in the middle of the show, and I I was like, what is this? How is this going to fly? He was so good. Like, it was super entertaining. Like, I, I looked up the guy's name, and I like, well, I want to see more from this guy. I thought it made perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, was he telling Jeff Foxworthy jokes or no? He, he, he was a little bit rednecky. Like, he was definitely kind of country, but he wasn't like so rednecky or anything like it was still relatable i think to anybody who just likes country music whether they're from the city or the country like 
it worked. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, man, I remember as a kid going to like Gatlinburg on vacation and seeing signs, uh, you know, for the Opry in Nashville and like Dolly and all these, and, uh, and to, you know, to see like Jelly Roll, you know, I just think that's so cool how far Craig it's come. Craig actually inspired a question that we asked another artist named Breland a few weeks after this interview. And I want to ask you the same question. How do you define a hit song in, in country music? Like, what makes a song a hit? Oh, man. Well, I'm kind of old school, so I, I go by, like, the the radio charts and the just basic country hot 100. So if it is a hit and it makes it on the charts, I don't know. I just – my thing is if it makes it viral – that's a 15 minute of fame thing in my eye. Like I, I want to see it needs to be on paper a hit. Like anything can be viral and real quick and blah 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 blah. But um, you know that's viral. I don't think that that's a hit record. I think to have a hit record, it has to be audibly, audibly consumed. If that's even like a word, but. It has to just be a song that is listened to, you know, in the car, yeah. at home, or on your phone. It, it's uh, That's what makes a hit record to me. I think there's like 50 or maybe 60 songs on Billboard's country airplay chart. In your mind, like where on that chart does an artist, does a song have to get before it's a hit? Like does uh, it just need to crack it? Top, top yeah, 10, top 20? Top 30, I say. Top 30. Top 30. Yeah, okay. anything top thirty, I think, is gonna be. I would consider like, man, I had a hit. If you're a national top thirty hit, now if you're on the Hot 100 chart and not just country, if you're on that thing, like I would say, oh, yeah. like that's a mega hit. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of even personally, I for a long time, I even tightened it up even more and said it needed to be like a, a top twenty single to be a hit. But kind of after listening to Craig talk and then. I interviewed him as well for an article that's going to come uh, later. Well, I guess it's going to come next week about his book because his book is hitting the bookshelves on September 27th. Um, I chatted with him and he kind of really opens up the definition a little bit, like pretty much of a song charts, he calls it a hit. And I think that's probably a, a little bit more realistic and, and also more fair to artists like it doesn't have to be a number one song or a top 10 to be a hit. Like top 40 is really, really good and really, really hard. Like that should be celebrated as well. Yeah. And you don't realize really how many artists are out there and how many songs are out there until like you really get under the hood. So yeah, the fact that you're even making the charts is huge because there's so many, I mean, everybody's a singer, just like everybody's a photographer now with phones. Like everybody's a singer. I mean, you sing into your phone and you could be viral the next day. Like, my daughter listens to mm -hmm. some crap. My money don't jiggle, jiggle. It folds. I like it when you wiggle. wiggle. Like, what is that? Like, that's viral. And, right. You know, so it's like, it sounds like the guy recorded it on his phone. So, you know, I, it's a yeah. huge deal to make the charts. He's I'd right. I'd like to keep this a theme where we learn more and more about your daughter's playlists and what makes her. <laughs> uh, yeah. You want to know her favorite movie right now? Hit me. Weekend at Bernie's. Get, what? <laughs> Where did she, she see thinks, that? I, we watched it one night. It was on TV, and now that's all she wants to watch is Weekend at Bernie's. She knows Bernie is sleeping because um, uh, he's awake in the beginning of the movie, and then he's just sleeping at the end. And then she thinks one of the guys 
uh, his name is Weaken. So she's like, that's Weaken. And she's like, that's Bernie. And then, oh, yeah. And then when they get into, like, fights and scuffles, she's like, uh, Weekend's getting into a fight. Oh, yeah. It's a whole deal. You know what I got my kids into recently that's pretty old school? Two things. One is, uh, uh, they're both Saturday Night Live skits. Um, Toonses, The Driving Cat. Okay. Fam- are, you're not familiar? No, I'm not. All right. Well, find find that. It's That's like late 80s. Toonses, The Driving Cat. But the other one is the Tracy Morgan skit where he plays the um, the zoologist. Uh, what is the what is his name? Uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name, but he plays a zoologist, and he's kind of crazy. He always thinks the animals are like heckling him, so he like hosts a talk show and like he always kicks the uh, the animals off the show and gets really angry. Oh, my kids think it's so funny. <laughs> Isn't it crazy what kids will be entertained by? Like, it's nuts. How nice was it to talk to Craig Morgan and not feel like you kind of needed to ask him more about his son that died and some of the tragedy he's been through? Like, That was good. I mean, the, the last time, you know, we talked to him, we kind of got into that and I felt bad. Like he was like crying and stuff. And, right. you know, so you're, it was like a relief to kind of get that out of the way, you know, and I, it's got to be tough for him, you know, because you don't want to go into an interview saying like, hey, I don't want to talk about this, you know, and people are just going to keep bringing it up and rehashing it. So I wanted to be a breath of fresh air this time around, at least, because I was rehashing it last time you know yeah i mean that's why he was there last time was to talk about the song that was inspired by the the death of his son jerry this time we were kind of distanced from that so we could kind of you know ask him about blake shelton's hair which was much more enjoyable you know i might not get the same page views but i'll take this (laughs) eight days a week yeah definitely i'm totally in on that man the uh Jokes about that a lot better, you know, and when he's getting like riled up, like when he's into like, I don't know, it's with anything, two different, you know, emotions. So like when when he was like somber, it kind of brought the whole thing down. But when this time he was all riled up, like Mm -hmm. especially after that Blake thing, like he was going nuts. I love that guy, man. He's so cool, man. He's been through a lot, too. Brian Fellow is the uh, the character's name. That's Tracy Morgan's zoologist. I'm Brian Fellow. All right, that's all I got. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna have to rewatch yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you got to. So good.